when I was growing up, we spent every 4th of July with my Uncle Ronnie in his uh, house up on the hill where we shot fireworks, and we just played all day. We got there in the morning, we ate sausage and biscuit, we ate lunch. It was just an all-day affair. And, uh, and, and the, the run of the place was ours. And one year in particular, I'll never forget this, I was about 10, and we were upstairs. We'd gotten in the house. We weren't really supposed to be in the house, but we were because parents didn't want to look at us or watch us. And so we were in the house, and we'd gotten into my cousin Misty's bedroom. And, of course, as children will do when they get into a bedroom, we started jumping on the bed. And, uh, and we knew we weren't supposed to, but nobody else was in that. There was not an adult in the house, right? And so we were just kind of going forward and, and, and got three of us up there at a time, and we're jumping, Fourth of July, wow! Fourth of July, Fourth of July, crack! And the bed fell. And I looked behind it, and one of the wooden runners that holds the bed up was just, had just done that. I wasn't worried, because my brothers were downstairs, and they could fix it. And so I looked at Misty, and I said, I'll get Tommy, because Tommy's the cool one, and he won't turn us in. And so I snuck downstairs, and I whispered in Tommy's ear, we need you upstairs. So he came right up, and he looked, and we showed him what we had done, and he looked at it, and he looked at me, and he said, what do you want me to do? I said, fix it. And he said, you broke the wood. Nobody can fix that. And this crazy, wonderful party just became a cry fest because I'd broken my Uncle Ronnie's bed. And I was terrified of the man. He was huge. And uh, I just began to cry and cry because I'd broken it and it couldn't be fixed. That's kind of what's going on here. Paul, uh, G- John has gone up into heaven and he was caught up in perfect worship in heaven and all the creatures of, of heaven and earth, the angels and the creatures of earth, all of creation are worshiping the Father. They're worshiping him. And he's caught up in that. But then everything that had been a party, everything that was filled with joy began to to turn to sorrow. And he wept. He wept because because God has a plan. He, He wept because God has this plan to fix the earth, to to redeem his people, to heal us. But no one's worthy to, to enact the plan. No one's worthy to, to open it up. And so John's celebration became tears and weeping until his, this one angel walks over to him and says these beautiful words, Weep no more. The Lamb is worthy. Please stand as we read. It's an incredible text from Revelation chapter 5. It's all part of the same vision that we started two weeks ago. So all the creation singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That was really bad. Let's try that again. All the creation is crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on a throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Amen. Please be seated. Word of God. I told Jonathan on the way over here, this text is so beautiful, I don't want to preach on it. I just want to read it and close. But I have to. That's what y'all pay me to do. So, let's talk about this wonderful, amazing text. The first real question for us is, why is John weeping? What, what happens? And to understand that, I, I need you to understand a few things. First of all, um, let's talk a little bit about John's visions. The book of, of Revelation is, is filled with seven visions of God, John, seven, uh, seven being the number of perfection. That you'll see the number of seven throughout Revelation. You should never interpret it literally. Uh, the lambs don't really have seven eyes. That would just be weird. Um, there's not seven Holy Spirits. The number of seven just means perfection. It's God's number. Six is man's number. We'll find that out in a few weeks. But seven is God's number. And the first revelation, Jesus sees I mean, John sees Jesus in the midst of the lampstands. Remember that? He's in the midst of the lampstands. He's, he's in the church. He's with the church. He has the church in his hands. And then he sends out the messages to the churches. Now, the second time, John sees Jesus in heaven. And, and what, the reason why this is important is this. If you try to read John uh, Revelation chronologically, you get really confused. It's not laid out chronologically. It's basically the same period of time and it's being looked at seven different ways. 
Now, if you don't watch sports, that might be confusing to you. But if you've ever watched a football game, you're very familiar with this, right? You'll see a great play, and, th- and they'll show it to you ten different ways. They'll show it at least seven different ways, right? There's a play on the field, and it's a touchdown. And they show what the, what the running back, this is the, the view from behind the quarterback. This is the view from the defense. This is the view of the sideline. This is the view of the quarterback's parents. This is the view of the, of the coaches in the, in the box, right? It's the same thing over and over, being layered. And that's what's happening here. This is the view, I guess, in that analogy, which is very weak. Uh, this would be the view of the, the press box. The coach is in the box. John is in heaven. From heaven's point of view, what is happening on earth throughout history? And the answer is, the entirety of the Old Testament is this question being asked. Is anyone worthy to open the scroll? Creation has been polluted. It's been distorted. It's broken. There is death. There is violence. There is heartbreak. There is abandonment. There is sickness. There is loss. There is limitation. There is pain. There is the the wealthy exploiting the poor, the strong exploiting the weak. It's been polluted. And God has a plan. He's got this plan that he calls the new covenant. We studied it this summer in in Jeremiah. He's got a a plan where the knowledge of God is going to cover the world the way the waters cover the sea when it will no longer be necessary to look at your neighbor and say, know the Lord for they're all going to know me and everybody's going to be doing his will and he's going to remake this earth. He's going to remake all of these people. He's going to make them whole and and pure again and he's going to restore joy and he's going to restore life and he's going to heal and he's going to eradicate pain and suffering and and never again will there be any violence on all my holy mountains says the Lord. He's, He's got this plan but no one's able to put it into play. No one's able to execute the plan. No one's worthy. And John weeps. He, he weeps because he knows the beauty of the plan. He weeps because he knows the need for the plan. Because he's seen his friends suffer. He's seen his family members die. He wants the plan to be enacted. He wants it to be executed. But no one is worthy. It's as if we're in some kind of zombie apocalypse movie and, and we, we, we know how to make the, the, the healing serum. We know how to make uh, the, the cure. But all, and all we need to make the cure is one pure human. One uninfected human. By God's decree, a human has to be the Savior. And they're all infected. And John's weeping because he's infected. None of us are worthy to do it. And so he's crying. He feels the need of this plan. And then the elder walks up to him. And I, in each vision, there's like one sentence that 
you really need to take with you. I want, at the end of this service, I want you, a uh, series, I want you to have these seven sentences sealed in your memory. You remember the first one? What was the first thing that Jesus said to John when he fell down paralyzed with fear? He said, don't fear. Do not fear. And this one, just as beautiful, maybe even better. Weep no more. Weep no more. This is the the second great statement of hope in the book of Revelation. Weep no more. And he tells him something beautiful. He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the the source of of the Davidic kings, the source of... From the, from the tribe of Judah, from the line that, that God set apart early in Genesis to say the, the Savior is going to come from this family. The Savior of the world is going to come from this one family. Here he is. He's conquered. Strong. He's a lion. He's strong. He's fearless. He's untamable. He's powerful. And, and frankly, as Christians... We need to remember this, that what the work that Jesus did was a conquest. He has established a new kingdom. It was a conquest. He underwent temptation to defeat sin. He underwent torture and injustice, and by, uh, by absorbing it into himself, he has defeated evil by... Dying, he has defeated death. He goes into the very center of, of evil's stronghold, goes into the grave, death itself, and he explodes it from within. He's defeated death. And that's, that is the reason why we're here today. It's a, it's a conquest. The, the, the story of the Bible is not a story of loss. It's not a story of, of an earth that was destroyed and so God hatches a plan to, to zap us off this earth one day and take us to a new planet that's better. It is, a, plan, it is a, a story of going into this planet, going down to the depths of it in the grave, and then renewing it from the very inside. It's a conquest. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, and he is defeated the grave and death and evil and sin. And John is brought back to life. He stops weeping and he turns. He wants to see this lion, this this victorious beast that has defeated everything that is bad. And this is another thing that happens a lot to us in Revelation. He hears one thing and he turns to see another. He hears a voice like a trumpet and turns to see Jesus in the midst of the lampstands. Here, he hears the lion of the tribe of Judah has, has conquered, and he turns and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. A lamb that has been slain. A lamb that is conquered by giving himself up. A lamb that is conquered by absorbing the blows. A lamb that has conquered by receiving the death and the wrath that we deserve. He's conquered us by his love, not by his force. And that's the, that is the thing we, ha- we, we learn from this text. That, that Jesus has conquered death and sin, and he is establishing a new kingdom in this earth, and he is, is leavening this earth from the inside to turn it into something beautiful again. 
and is conquering it not by violence, not by force, not by power. He is conquering it by grace. He's conquering it by his grace. He's conquering it by his love. I I hope you get that. I hope that makes sense to you. That you can have a conquest, a a, a victory, a, a a real capturing by love. There's a great story uh, of the Apostle John written by the uh, first century historian Eusebius. Uh, he's really the, kind of the first church historian where we get a lot of our knowledge about what was happening right after the New Testament. And he wrote this story about John uh, coming to a town and uh, this, this young man really captured his heart. And he, he taught this man the gospel, and he, he handed him to the bishops of this town. He said, watch this guy. Watch over him. Be, be fathers to him. And he, he left to go to the next town. He was always going from town to town, encouraging the bishops. And um, the bishops taught the young man, and they baptized him. But the man fell in with the wrong crowd. It's a t- typical story. And he, uh, he ended up just going off with, with bandits and actually becoming the, the head of this gang, this violent gang that would steal and that would, would kidnap for ransom. And John came back to the town, and he asked the bishops of the town, what happened to the young man I left in your charge? And, and they said, they told him the story, unfortunately he's fallen in with thieves. And John got on a horse and he said, where, where do they hide? And he rode straight up into the stronghold of the bandits. And they, they came to him and they, they attacked him. And he said, it's fine. I, I'm not going to defend myself. You can have everything I have. Just take me to your leader. And they take him up into the stronghold. And he sees the young man. And the young man tears off running away. He's, he's terrified of, of his spiritual father. And John, this is what Eusebius writes, John, forgetting his age, pursued him with all his might, crying out, why do you flee from me? Your own father, unarmed, aged, pity me, my son. Fear not, you still have hope of life. I will give account to Christ for you. I will willingly endure your death as the, death, as the Lord suffered death for us. For you I will give up my life. Stand and believe that Christ has sent me. John's words penetrated the young man's heart. And he stopped and he looked down and he threw away his arms and he trembled and wept bitterly, baptizing himself with tears, concealing only his right hand where he had done so many acts of violence. And John pledged himself and assured him on oath that he would find forgiveness and fell upon his knees and kissed his right hand itself as if now purified by repentance and led him back to the church. That's what it looks like to be conquered by love, conquered by weakness, conquered by grace. It's, it's frankly what uh, Catholic charities are, are attempting to do here in our own midst. Uh, it's fascinating, you know, uh, Tulsa's receiving about 800 refugees, we think, from Afghanistan. And as these refugees are coming in, Catholic charities are, are leading this plan to, to overwhelm these, these refugees with grace, to give them apartments and jobs and, and furniture and, and hopefully put them in the nicest place that they've ever lived in and just give it to them for free. And when they ask why, say, this is what grace is all about. 
and their hope is that I understand the difference between refugees and Taliban soldiers, but go with me here. The same tribe of people, the same race of people that the strongest army in the history of the world could not conquer, their hope is that they will be conquered by God's grace. They'll be conquered by kindness. Have you experienced that ever? Have you ever just been conquered, absolutely taken captive by grace? Maybe the grace of your father getting up in the middle of the night to sit with you when your feet hurt and needed to be rubbed. Maybe the, maybe the grace of your mom who never, ever ate a hot meal to herself because she was always getting up to serve everyone else. Maybe, maybe it was your husband as, he, as you drove him to the airport handing you his phone. Saying, will you, when you put parental controls on this and not tell me the code, I need your help. Maybe it was your wife saying, thank you for loving me and not wanting to get away from me and, and look at whatever you want to look at. Have you ever been conquered by grace? Have you been conquered by the Lord's grace giving you his son when you were still running away from him? If you have, then you know what worship is all about. Weep no more, the elder says. And then John takes part in the worship. Worship. A renewed sense of worship. A worship because the lamb is worthy. That's that's the... The meaning of the word worship itself. Worship is, is shipping worth. It's, it is telling someone they're worthy. And that's what all of heaven is doing. And our prayers are doing. Our prayers are actually in this text. If you saw it, the, the elders in heaven are, are pouring out bowls of incense. And those are our prayers coming before the Father, telling Jesus he's worthy. I think worship's weird. Worship is... Um, it's always the least popular topic um, that we teach on. It's, it's kind of a fascinating thing. And it sounds awkward and something kind of separate, especially if, if you're not used to going to church and using those kind of words. Um, and we, we don't really know what it is, and so we just basically say singing is worship, you know? Like, well, that's, the, that's, the, that's basically what we've done. We've kind of reduced worship down to singing instead of it being everything that we do, but... Um, I got to see worship last night. It was really cool. I went to uh, see Cheryl Crow in concert. And, um, and during the next to the last song, she was singing um, Soak Up the Sun, you know, tell everyone to lighten up. And it was great because all the people up front just rushed the stage. And they were all holding their hands up. And even though it was COVID and she knew better, she went by and she, was, she would grab every hand that was up. It was fascinating. It's, that thing, that's interesting when it's a bunch of teenage girls. You know, it's like the Beatles and they're crying or whatever. When it's a bunch of 50-somethings, it's pretty fascinating, actually. And this, this, they were worshiping her, not in a sinful, idolatrous way, but they were just saying, you mean something to me. Your music has meant, you, even though you have no idea who I am, you mean something to me. You've done something for me. You've shown me beauty. You've, you've, 
you've inspired me in deep places. You have me, you mean something. And that's, that's what worship is. It's, it's looking at Jesus saying, you mean something to me. You're important to me. You're worthy. You're worthy because of who you are. You're worthy because of, of you have ransomed us. You have ransomed us and made us a kingdom and priests, they say. What does that mean to be ransomed? It means you realize that, that you were lost. You were a captive. You were enslaved by your sin, by your addictions, by your habits, by your desires. You were enslaved, and now you are free. It's a new kind of worship. The worship in, in chapter 4 is worship for creation. And we can sort of take part in that. Sort of. But worship for being redeemed is different. Uh, we have two church members who almost died two weeks ago. One was in a car, wreck, a car accident where he tore off through the woods at highway speeds and didn't hit a tree, amazingly. And the other was actually standing on a street corner when a car lost control and hit a telephone pole right beside him. And uh, in both cases, I, I looked at him and I said, I want you to try, just try. It's impossible, but try to be as happy as you would have been sad. That's, that's being thankful. That's what it means to feel yourself being ransomed. You're as happy that you're alive as you would have been sad if you weren't. You're ransomed. And that's what it energizes their worship. John is told, weep no more but worship. Because sickness and heartbreak, and abuse, and death, and poverty, and abandonment don't have the final word. Death has been defeated. You've been ransomed. And the Lamb is worthy to open the scroll. Please, please pray with me. Lamb, you are worthy to receive power and honor and glory and wisdom and might forever and ever and ever. Would you tune our hearts to sing your praise, to tell you your worthiness? Would you draw it out of us so that we would reach to you be touched to tell you that you mean something to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.